And uh, last week we talked about freedom because it was the 4th of July. And it is now the, uh, the, the 11th of July. And guess what we're going to talk about? Freedom. We have, we're going to keep talking about freedom because there is so much to talk about. Last week we talked about, we said of a phrase that I think is really um, a good phrase to remember. So you might want to jot this down if you're a note taker. If not, put it in your, in your mental um, resources someplace. But we have to give freedom in order to gain freedom. You have to give freedom to gain freedom. That's a very important concept. Because if we don't understand that we have to give freedom to gain freedom, then we're never going to be free. Then you're never going to have the freedom of Christ in your life because you've never given him freedom to work in your life. We did it already this morning. What we did here this morning already was that we gave him freedom to work in our life when we said, Jesus, come into my heart. So if you want freedom, you have to give freedom. You have to give him the authority to work in your life. So that was a very important concept we talked about last week. And so it's worth repeating again that if you are going to give, you have to give freedom in order to gain freedom. We talked about different areas that we were bound, that we were bound in last week. We, we, were, we talked about being bound in three major areas. The pull of the past, the pain and the paralysis of the present and the fear of the future. The pull of the past, meaning we always want to go backwards, we're, or we cannot be forgiven because we don't, we've done something so bad. We're so immoral, so evil, that God can never forgive me, or I can never forgive myself. And we talked about how we have to Understand that when Christ died on the cross for us, when he said, it is finished, it is finished. When he said, I am faithful and just to forgive, as you repent of your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive. It is finished. Okay? No more pull to the past. No more pulling, pulling backwards to say, I cannot be forgiven, or I cannot forgive myself. So let's move past the past. The pain of the present can be just as debilitating because I can be so caught up in my pain of the moment that I become paralyzed. That's called depression. Oppression. And we need to get past that as well. Because when Jesus died on the cross, guess what? What did he say? I didn't hear that. It is finished. Past, present, it is finished. Then fear the future. This is a big one for all of us because we don't know what the future holds and it is totally out of our control. Therefore, if we were control freaks, this is a very fearful subject because we just don't know what the future is going to hold. Therefore, we can get very fearful in the future and that can become a real bondage to us. Therefore, as we keep Jesus as the focus of our life, and we keep him focused, and we keep our focus of the future with him in it, if he was in my past, if he's in my present, he certainly can be in my future. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, it is finished. Past, present, future. He has it all together. It's his deal. And I, I just have to walk in it. Now we're going to move on. And we're going to talk about living in freedom. 
We're going to talk about freedom living here. That was freedom set up from bondages, which we all had and have. Now we're going to talk about how do we live in a free, godly life. So we want three major themes here. Freedom living is a choice. You choose to remain free. He could have set you free at any given moment in time in your life, but if you choose not to stay free, you can become bound again. True? So freedom is a choice. We need to live with our choices, always choosing freedom. Freedom living requires commitment. I have to be committed to staying free. I have to be committed to making the right choices. It requires commitment. And freedom living isn't living a restricted life. It isn't legalism because we can quickly go to the negative and go into a legalistic approach. There's a really fine line of living free and living in a legalistic approach. So we have to be careful that we don't move to that level because uh, legalism is Satan's version of living Christ-like. Legalism is Satan's version of living free in Christ. Because if I can get bound up in legalism, which I can, then I'm not living free anymore because I'm legalistic about my approach. It isn't legalism. It is living an intentional lifestyle of godliness, holiness, and fulfillment. Now, let's admit it right now. To the world, to the non-Christian, and maybe even to some of us sitting in this room right now, when I said the words, live, living in a lifestyle of godliness, holiness, and fulfillment, the first thing that came to your mind was boring, stuffy, irrelevant, weird, a life filled with do's and don'ts. Because that's the way the world looks at things like that. And if you, never, if you don't ever get past the first layer of Christian living, the first layer of Christian freedom, then that's about all there is, is a list of do's and don'ts. And there's no freedom in that. So you have to get past the initial decision and you have to get into the level of commitment to it. And you have to get tired or you have to get rid of the games that people play. We all play games. We make it way too complicated when we play games. Living for Christ is not hard. It is not difficult. It is not the toughest challenge of your life. What's the toughest challenge of your life is living on the fence. When I get sold out for Christ, then it's not hard for me to make a decision for Christ. But if I'm not sold out for Christ, then I have a decision to make all the time about, should I... Uh, should I do that or shouldn't I do that? And I don't want to even name what it is that you should or shouldn't be doing because 
then all of a sudden we become legalistic in that again. But when I have a sold-out attitude for Christ and I am bent on pleasing Him because I want to, then that pull of that sin, that temptation, that old lifestyle, when it comes to me, I can quickly and easily say no because I don't want to fulfill that old lifestyle again. That is being sold out to Christ. The most miserable person that I know is the person that's on the fence because you can't even enjoy sin. If you're going to enjoy sin, then go out and enjoy it, the little bit of enjoyment that you're going to get out of it. Am I right? If you're going to not live for Christ, then don't play the game. If you're not going to live for Christ, then don't come to church. Don't even play the game because it's not worth it. Because you're going to be surprised. Yeah, you know what? I'm giving you the, I'm giving you the authority. I'm giving you the choice to get up and walk out. Have you heard a preacher say that before? Because you have the choice. Nobody's making you be here, unless your parents made you be here. But thank God they did. But here's the point. We have to have to want to. Uncle Dick, you reminded me of a message that Uncle Bob used to preach. You've got to want to, right? You've got to want to. You've got to want to have Christ in your heart. You've got to have him, and you want to have that life. The most miserable person is a person at work that, that lives on the fence because you can't enjoy sin and you can't enjoy God. You can't enjoy either one because you're being pulled all the time from one to the other. That's not freedom. Freedom is selling out for Christ. Freedom is living a choice to live by, live by the facts of Christ's death, his resurrection, and his overcoming power. We're living by facts. We're not living by our feelings. We're living by facts. Romans chapter 6. We're going to spend, uh, turn your Bible, if you have a Bible, turn it to Romans chapter 6, because we're going to spend some time there. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, it says, What shall we say to all this? This is in the Amplified Bible. What shall we say to all this? Are we to remain in sin in order that God's grace, which is favor and mercy, may multiply and overflow? See, chapter 5, maybe I should have started there, but chapter 5, Paul was just telling the Romans that the greater the sin, the greater the mercy. The greater the sin, the greater the grace. God is faithful to forgive all of our sins. So if God's glory is in his forgiving of our sins, then shall we continue to sin so that God gets more glory? <laughs> the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. And Paul says it in the next verse. He says, certainly not, with a big exclamation point. Because then he says, how can we who died to sin live in it any longer? There comes a point in time when you accept Jesus in your heart, and when you make that, that decision, the sinful man dies. But that doesn't mean the temptations go away. 
That doesn't mean your life is all rosy from there at point on. You still have a fight on your hands, as we talked about a few weeks ago. We still have a Christian fight. We have a fight in our hands, on our hands. But yet, Paul says that we should not keep sinning in order that God's glory becomes magnified in, our, in the forgiveness of, us, our, of our sins. He says, certainly not. How can we who died to sin live in it any longer? Chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul continues to say that do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Now, this talks a little bit about water baptism. In fact, um, we would love to have another water baptism service coming up sometime this summer. I've had one person said they would be interested. And if you want to be water baptized, we'd love to water baptize you because that is a commandment from Jesus, that we all as believers need to be water baptized. What does water baptism mean? We're going to talk about it right here. What it means is that we are signifying and associating the death of our spiritual man, the death of the carnal man within me, which is my spiritual man. I can be unspiritual and spiritual, still spiritual man. It's the spiritual part of my life. I am dying. When I accept Jesus Christ into my life, he died. And water baptism now is a symbolic form of what that means because now as a person dies, he goes to the grave. Jesus broke the bond of death because he rose out of the grave again in his resurrected life. So our association with him through water baptism is we die, we're buried, our body, our sin is buried in the water, and then as we come back out of the water, that's a, that is a symbolic gesture of our newness of life. We are resurrected now in a new man. We are resurrected in a life that is not controlled by sin any longer. It does not have dominion over our life any longer. That's what being baptized signifies. And that's why it's so important that we do that as a believer. If you haven't been water baptized, you need to be. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven today if you died. It's not a condition of salvation. It's a God of wanna thing. It is following in the footsteps of Jesus because Jesus was baptized. And he said it was the right thing to do. So if Jesus says it's the right thing to do, then it's the right thing to do. So if you want to be water baptized or if you want to be rebaptized, maybe you were baptized as a child and maybe you've fallen away and maybe you've come back and you want to recommit your life to Christ. It's a form of recommittal. It's a form of uh, telling people again that you are who you are, a new in life. So I want to just offer that to you. So please talk to us if you're interested in being water baptized. But the decision always comes back to us. It's a conscious decision to us to decide who is going to rule in our lives, Christ or sin, good or evil, heaven or hell. We can't live in both worlds. You might think you are, but the Bible says you can't. You will either love one or you will love the other, but you can't love both. Therefore, you have to make a decision. I've heard the comment, I've heard the saying, and it's kind of cheesy, <laughs> but it's true. If God isn't Lord of all, he isn't Lord at all. Hear that? If God isn't Lord of all, then he isn't Lord at all. You cannot choose to have God in a portion of your life 
and not in another portion of your life and not expect to be surprised come judgment day. Light and darkness do not coexist. It's either going to be light or it's going to be dark. If God is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all in your life. Understand that. It has to be said. We cannot live a life of compromise. We cannot live a life of I'm going to do this today and then I'm going to ask forgiveness tomorrow. Or I'm not going to ask forgiveness at all, which is even worse. And then go to church and then think I'm going to be a good man because I go to church. Going to church is nothing to do with your salvation. Going to church it brings the fruit of the Spirit, brings the fruit into your life, but not the salvation. Salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. So if, if he's not the Lord of all, then he's not the Lord at all. In Luke 10:27, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. Does this seem too hard? Let me ask you, am I making this too hard? Does it seem too much to put, is it, is, are we putting too much emphasis on our responsibility to live a sinless life? Wait a minute. Whoever said we had to live a sinless life? I can't live a sinless life. And neither can you. The moment you try to live a sinless life, you're legalistic. The moment you try to live a life that you, that you don't sin anymore, you can't do it. Let me tell you right now, you can't do it. I can't do it. Now, you think I probably can. <laughs> I can't. Neither can you. So if we're not talking about living a sinless life or a sin-free life, then we have to be talking about how we live a life free in the Spirit. And is there a difference? And yes, there's a significant difference in that statement. So let's talk about that difference for a little bit. Because living a sin-free life, if I have to live that way, we're going to quickly get bound up in, in, in a legalistic attitude because it's going to become all about me. Because I'm going to be focusing all my attention on me, knowing and wondering what I can or cannot do. I don't want to sin. Therefore, all my focus has got to be on me because I have to be so careful in everything I do and say that I cannot sin. And I'm not having time, energy, or the ability to worry about you because it's all about me. And when it's all about me, that's a sin. <laughs> so you've just blown it already. So let's just understand that we cannot live a sinless life. But yet in Romans it says, how can we who died to sin live in it any longer? What does it mean to be dead to sin? Let's keep reading. Chapter 6, keep reading. Chapter, uh, verses 5, 14. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we who have died with Christ, we believe that he will also live with him, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. That's a lot of words. What it simply means is this. God is not looking for your perfection because he knows you can't be. The only one that lived a perfect, sinless life was who? Are you Jesus? No. I'm not either. Therefore, I am not perfect. God is not looking for perfection. What he's looking for is an attitude. What he's looking for is a broken and contrite heart, a humble heart, a humble heart that says, when I sin, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me because I am not trying to sin. I am trying to live a sinless life. That's my goal. My goal, my ambition in life is to live a sinless life, a sin-free life. But I know I can't. So therefore, when I do sin, when I do fall, I don't get beat myself up over it. I don't, I don't unforgive myself. I go to the cross. And I go back one more time to him and I say, Father, forgive me. I've fallen again. I didn't mean to. I really am trying not to. And here's the point. You can't fall in the same sin over and over and over again. There's, there does come a time as mature Christians that we need to move away from the same sins. <laughs> does that make sense? I mean, if, I, if I'm going to do the same thing over and over again, then you know what? Then I'm not really serious about being forgiven. If I keep going back to the same old routine the same old habit, that I'm not really serious about breaking that habit. It's lip service. And you know what? You're going to be surprised. You're one of the people that have been to church all your life, and when you get to this great white throne judgment, and he says, give me an accounting of your life, he's going to say, ah, you've done that over and over and over again, and you never really were serious about it. Now, I don't want to make it too simple that you... That we do have life-controlling issues. I understand that. But you need help. And it might require some professional help. It might require some counseling along with this. So I'm not trying to put a, a burden. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on anybody. All I want you to know is that you have a responsibility to pick up your own life and pick it up and take care of it. So let's, let's understand that. And let's know that what Jesus is asking for is for our attitude, a broken and contrite heart, and that what I am fallen, that I'm quick, I'm very, very quick to come on my face and say, Jesus, forgive me. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. That's what he's asking for. Okay? Make sense? Does that take the pressure off anybody? I don't want to put bondage on people in a, in a, freedom, in a freedom talk. <laughs> I don't want to do that. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to free you, though, with giving you the information and giving you the encouragement to go back to Christ and ask for forgiveness on a repeated basis. An example that is in, recorded in Mark that talks about an attitude in a physical attitude or physical expression of an attitude is found in Mark 12. 
41 through 44. And this is of a little lady that had the godly attitude that, God, that Jesus was looking for. And this is expressed in her area of finances. Mark 12, 41 through 44, Jesus was at the temple, and he sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put in and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Now, does that, do you find that strange at all, that Jesus is watching people put money in the offering? Do you think he's concerned about the temple's offering? Well, I think he was. But I don't think that was his main concern. His main concern was, we're going to find out. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Not a lot of money. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. This is a really good physical example of a person that was willing to give everything to gain freedom. This was a really good example of how she understood the concept, uh, to gain freedom, I have to give my freedom. She gave physically what she had to live on. It wasn't a whole lot to begin with, but she gave it all. Knowing that as she gave it, she would have freedom. Now, we don't know a whole lot more about that story. We don't know what happened to that lady. We don't know if, if she got rich because of that. But let me tell you what we do know. We do know that Jesus saw her. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Jesus saw her. You know what? Jesus sees you. That's all that matters. We don't really know what happened to her, but I'll tell you what, if Jesus saw her, then you have to rest assured that he took care of her. What she did then, she's reaping today. That two cents, that fraction of a penny that she put in is reaping her eternal rewards today. She is in heaven today being blessed beyond measure because of her faithfulness, because she gave up her freedom to gain his freedom, because Jesus saw her. Why is that so hard to understand? Why is that so hard for us to appreciate that and to bring that into our life and know that everything I do, Jesus sees? And everything I do, I will give an account for. And if I choose to hoard what I have, whether it's money or my time or my resources, then I'm binding myself up rather than I was willing to give it all, to gain all. We make it way too complicated. We make it way too complicated. Another good example of this is also is in Mark chapter 10. And this is the um, story of a rich young man. And this is uh, kind of an interesting story because I, the Lord kind of impressed upon me, I believe, a little different take on this this week. 
Let's read the story. And as he was setting out on his journey, Mark 10, 17-22, as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus said, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now what's interesting about this is I always had the impression that if the man would have done as Jesus said, if he would have taken all of his possessions, sold it, and gave it to the poor, that next week he would have had double because he would have done what Jesus said and he would have been blessed over by over and over and over again because he was faithful, did what Jesus said. And that's the kind of my mentality on that was that, you know, yeah, given, you know what, you're going to get more back. But, you know, another thought came to my mind about this. First of all, what's interesting is that this man didn't come in a need. He wasn't sick. He wasn't demon-possessed. Nor did he know anyone that was. He wasn't coming out of a need. He was coming out of a self-righteous attitude. He was coming to Jesus saying, I've done everything. Lord, look at I'm wealthy. I'm successful. He probably was a boss. He had it all. He had fame, money, and prestige. He had it all. But he wanted to impress Jesus with his righteous living. And Jesus saw right through that. And he said, well, yeah, you've done some, but can you do it all? Can you really give it all? Can you give it all? And when the man said no, Jesus didn't take it from him. The man turned around and walked away, and Jesus let him walk away, and the man wasn't any worse for the encounter physically. He still had his money. He still had his fame. He still had his prestige. In fact, he probably, no, probably none of his friends even knew that he did this. So he probably wasn't even embarrassed because he probably did this quietly. So he walked away like so many people in our society walk away today with their money, with their fame, with their prestige, all intact. But they're missing one thing. They're not free in Christ because they didn't give freedom to gain freedom. He kept what he had. He hoarded his possessions because that's where his security was at. That's where his identity was at. Where's your identity? Where is your security? Is it in what you have or is it in who you know? And that being Jesus Christ. If he came to you and said, give it all away, would you? See, we all have to understand that God has a bigger element in our lives than what we can see with our eyes. We think that we have it all figured out by what we see, but we're deceived into thinking that that's true. 
See, God has a bigger picture in mind, and he wants us to be free in him, to be able to be free in ourselves to accomplish what it is that he wants for us, not just for what I see. And the only way that we are going to be that person is to give up the things that we think are our security here in this life. The only way we can really come into the fullness of Christ is by giving everything to him. I can't do it if I'm holding on to things. Another example, I think, of how we have to look at our life and how we have to look at the things that happen in our life is, is this. How do we handle the question of healing? How do we handle the question of how do we deal with it that some people are healed and some people aren't healed? Let me give you a little perspective on that, I believe, that I think that, that, that can help us through this. See, if we, believed with, if we believe that God does have a bigger, more comprehensive perspective on our life, then we must allow him to work it out in our lives the way he wants to work it out. And it might require us going through some things that we don't understand and, more importantly, that we don't like. There is no question that God can heal any illness, any sickness, any disease, any mental disorder, any financial situation, any relationship. It doesn't make any difference. Jesus can fix it. Amen? Do you believe that? How many here, by show of hands, have been healed? Proof. Jesus heals. All right? How many here have prayed to be healed and haven't been? Proof. Jesus doesn't heal everybody. Why? Well, let's talk about that for a minute because I think this is really, I think this will free us in the area of healing to a degree. Larry, would you show that PowerPoint, please? Life can be this. Life can be a maze. Everybody knows what a maze is, right? The challenge that you have is go to the top left corner where that black dot is, and that's supposed to be the entry point. Okay, that's your life, and this is your ending point down here. So our challenge in life is how do we get through the maze? It would take quite a bit of time to figure that out. Do you agree? Well, I did it. Larry, would you go to the next slide? No, I really didn't do it. It was that way on the Internet when I got it. So I just... <laughs> this was a maze game, and this was the result. This was the solution. All right? So just so you know, it can be done. You start at the left right, or the left top, and come down to the bottom right, and, and that's the solution to the maze. Now, why do I have a maze up here? Oh, you see the amazing? Life's amazing. Isn't that kind of cool? I did that. That wasn't the Internet. I, I did that. That was kind of cool. You're not impressed. All right, so what, let's talk about this for a minute. Because, see, to get through this maze, if you go to the back to the first one, see, when you're seeing it right now, it's, oh, sorry, go back to the second one, Larry. When you see it right now, it's pretty easy, isn't it? I mean, you can see it, you can follow the red lines, and you, you know, say, well, that's not so tough, you know, it's not so bad. But go to the next one, the first one, Larry. Wow. 
Does anybody remember how to do it? See, it takes a lot of faith to live a life to get through that maze. Romans 5, 7 says, we live by faith, not by sight. It's not what we see, it's by our faith is how we live a Christ-like life and a victorious life. And if I realize that God has the bigger picture than I, then I almost realize that he directs my appointments with people in particular situations that I don't have any control over. That I can't manipulate that. Because he has a plan for me, and for me to get through that maze of life, I have to have faith, and I have to believe that he's going to help me get through it. Now, it's 12 o'clock. Can I go a little longer? I'm sorry. I really didn't. I'm sorry. But I, I need to finish this if you let me. As a mature Christian, as a mature Christian, we have to understand that there are some things that God is going to allow in my life that I might not like in order for me to get someplace that I have to get. All right? So let's talk about prayer. Let's, 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 take about, let's talk about healing. And, 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 and Mom, I'm going to use you as an example, okay? Do you mind if I use this? All right. We're praying that my mom is healed of a hip problem. She's having surgery on Wednesday, okay, to replace a hip. We're praying that the Lord will heal that hip. Do you think he can do it? Yeah, there's no question about it. If the, Lord wants, if the Lord chooses to heal that hip, that hip will be healed instantly. He created it, he can heal it. But if it doesn't be healed, should that affect my faith? But yet it does, doesn't it? Be honest with me. It is, it, yes, it shakes me up a little bit because good Christians don't, aren't sick. Good Christians don't have problems. Bad Christians have problems. Where does that come from? That comes from the enemy. That comes from the devil whispering into my ear, if you have a problem, it's because you're not a good Christian. And you're not good enough. God doesn't love you enough. And that's where it comes from. And that brings discouragement and fear. And that's where all the bondages in our life come from because we listen to the wrong voice. But let's look at the maze of what this is about. See, if we understand that God has a bigger picture in mind, if he's got a bigger, a bigger element for me, more than what I can see, then I have to trust him in that. In that operation that my mom might have to have, there's a purpose in that. Because if we're going to go to the second maze, Mayor, Larry, if you would, please. See, to get to this point right here, ah, right there, Keegan, I wish I could jump like you. Or I would, and Nate wishes he could jump like you too, by the way. But to get to that point right here might require an operation right there. And to get to that point right there, there may be a doctor right there. There may be a nurse right there. There may be a physical therapist right there that needs to hear the gospel. And the only way that that person is going to hear the gospel is through my mom. Because that was an appointed time that God set up for my mom to be there at that certain time to have that certain witness in her life so that that person could see and hear the gospel of Christ that could change that doctor's life. And if she, wouldn't have, if she would have been healed today, she, that, that, that divine appointment never would have happened. Therefore, I have to accept God's providence. And then who am I to grumble that I'm not healed? Rather, I should say, glory to God, 
It's your will be done, Father. You do what you want to do in my life. You put the appointments in my life. And then let me live so that when I get to that appointment, I don't disappoint you. That I am living that victorious life. That that doctor, that nurse, that physical therapist, that stranger walking down the hall, they don't see a grumbling lady in there because she had surgery. She's seen a lady rejoicing the fact that she's there. Living a Christian life, living a dynamic life. So that person says, what do you have in your life? How can you be so joyful in this tough time? Because I have Christ in my life. And I know that he's got a bigger element for me. Therefore, I am here rejoicing. I am free. I am free in my life knowing that God has a better plan for me, a bigger perspective for me that requires me to go through this. Therefore, I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in the things I have to go through because I know that God has a plan for me and I know that he's ordained it and I know that he has a divine destiny for me and I'm going to get there and I want to be pleasing to him along the way. Therefore, I'm effective, I'm relevant, and I'm a good Christian man and I'm not going to be surprised when it comes to Judgment Day. I'm not going to be the one surprised because I'm going to be saying, Lord, you put me through that test and I was there diligently, I, I, I loved you through it, I did everything I could through it, and he's going to say, you know, Mike, you did a good job. Nice job. Proud of you. That was tough. I put you through the ringer. I tested you severely. And you made it. And you made it. And because of that, look at all these other people that you've impacted. Now, isn't that a better way to look at a non-healing than a grumbling attitude of, of God doesn't love me? I'm not a good enough Christian because I'm not healed. I'll tell you what, it takes as much faith to walk through that maze as it does the faith to believe that God can heal a broken bone. It doesn't shake my faith or they're not healed. It just says, okay, get me ready for the next thing. Take me to the next level and let me get there so that I can be obedient and I can be effective and I can be powerful in that situation. We need to pray. We need to pray as it says in Colossians, first, Colossians 1, 9 through 12, and this, this is becoming one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. This is the one that I've memorized, and I, and I say this every day when I pray. This is one of the prayers that I repeat. And it says, And so from the day we heard, and this is where I start, that I have not ceased to pray, Lord, and I'm going to say it the way I say it, that, you, that, that, that I'm not ceasing to pray, that you fill me with the knowledge of your will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that I can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you strengthen me with all power, according to your glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. Kingdom of light. That is my prayer. And when I pray that on a regular basis, I am going to get the target. I'm going to hit the target because I'm praying for his will. I'm praying for the fullness of his will to be revealed in my life. Not what I see, but by my faith. Believing that he has got the bigger picture. And I want to be in the bigger picture. And I want to be fulfilling that bigger picture. And I want to hear him say, Mike, well done. Do you? I know you do. I know you do. To grow the kingdom of God while we are in this life is our challenge. 
And if we are to grow the kingdom of God while we're in this life, then we have to take the perspective that we do not, our goal is not to grow our life in the kingdom of God. Let me say that again. To grow the kingdom of God while, we're in our, while we are in this life is not to grow our life in the kingdom of God. We are to grow the kingdom of God, not our life in the kingdom of God. It's not about me. Not about you. It's about the kingdom of God. So we have to be, we have to be free in that statement. As we conclude this morning, let me ask you, how do you see your life? And how do you see your perspective in it? Are you seeing the situation you're in today as the place that God has you in for the reason? Are you purposely seeking God's perspective? Are you purposely seeking the faith that you need to have to get through the maze of your life? Or are you looking at the simplicity of the things around you and the complications of things, sorry, the complication of things around you and being overwhelmed by the, by the details, thinking I have to figure it out? You can't figure it out. You can't figure it out. So don't so stop trying. What you need to do is what we did a few minutes ago. And you need to give it all to God. You need to do just as a song Jackie's playing is surrender it all. I surrender all. I surrender all. I surrender my ambitions. I surrender my fears. I surrender my possessions. I surrender my goals. I surrender my objectives. I surrender my college life. I surrender my job, my family, everything. If the Lord's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. This is not complicated. This is not hard. This is freedom. This is freedom in your life. If you want to go out and enjoy the afternoon today, if you want to go out and enjoy the sunshine today, go out and enjoy the great northern Michigan climate that we have today, if you really want to enjoy it, are you willing to give it up? If you really want to enjoy it to the fullness, you have to have Jesus in your heart. And you have to have that intentional living of freedom living in your heart. And you have to have the faith boost, bolstered by the freedom living, not through, not, not through our, our grumbling of God's not touching me, he's not answering my prayer today. That's not freedom. Let's stand. Let's sing this song. Let's sing I Surrender All. And as you sing it, surrender it all. Take the step in your mind and your, in, your, in your body to surrender it all. And if, and, and if you're having a problem with this, I'm going to stay at the front up here, and I want you to come pray, and I'll pray with you. And I want to pray that God will help you to surrender all. Because that is freedom. And that's what it's all about. Let's sing the song, Jack, if you would. Help us sing it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh.